How many of you watched that game? Yeah. Some of you have watched it maybe years later. 1980, they called it the Miracle on Ice. I don't know if you would understand this today, but in the 80s and the early years, it was amateurs versus what they called amateurs, but they were pros. The United States beat the Soviet Union, and what we had was we had a bunch of college-age hockey players versus a bunch of guys who had played together for 10 to 20 years. You know, we had a bunch of guys that came from all the United States come together, and they had practiced several months getting ready for the Olympics. These guys had played for almost, some of them, two decades together. They call it the the miracle on ice. Let me ask you a question. Who did they have to beat to win the gold medal? Who did the United States have to beat to win the gold medal? Anybody know? Close. Finland. They had to defeat Finland after they beat the United States of America. In your notes, I have small and mighty, small and mighty. Do you have a set of notes? Pull these out. If you have your smartphone, pull your smartphone out. Go to the Uversion app. All of the notes are there. Just go to events. Either way you want to do it, old school, new school, we have it there for you. So when you think of small and mighty, lots of times you think of the underdog. And you think of the underdog in this, uh, this hockey game. Definitely, clearly, they were the underdog. You think about David and Goliath, the the, uh, amazing underdog story found in the Bible. But I want to ask you a question, and maybe as we work through it a little bit, just ponder a little bit. Was he really the underdog? Was he really the underdog, you know? Tonight at 5 o'clock, we're going to be having a time of prayer. Tonight, we are meeting at Life. Uh, lifeline at five o'clock and we're going to have a time of prayer and at the end of the time of prayer as I was talking with our leaders in prayer we're going to close our our uh, service tonight uh, just uh, our time tonight with a time for praying for people who are in miracle territory what I mean by that is is if you find yourself in miracle territory miracle territory is where you've tried everything you can even prayer, even uh, uh, being with somebody, all your efforts. When you find yourself in a situation where only a miracle of God can handle it or do something about it, you find yourself... We're going to close by anointing people with oil tonight that want to ask God for him to do something in their life or somebody else's. Please be there with us tonight. Let me give you some lessons of faith. Turn to 1 Samuel on your phone, uh, your Bible app, or in your old school hard Bible there. 1 Samuel 17, 58 verses. We won't hit all of them. It's a story of several lessons of faith that as I uh, went through this that the Lord showed me, I'd like to share with you. Number one, would you fill it in with me? One hill or the other. One hill or the other. Verse 1 says, The Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sakoth. Okay? There's the Philistines. The Philistines, in case you don't know, they're constantly in battle against the Israelites. Constantly opposed to them. Constantly trying to enslave them. Uh, And during um, Samson's time, the Philistines had made uh, basically the Israelites their slaves. Verse 2 says, Saul and the Israelites. So you got the Philistines, you got Saul and the Israelites. They assembled and camped at the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines. But here's verse 3, everybody. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Folks, Jesus has made it extremely clear that in life, you're either on one hill or the other. You're on Jesus' hill or you're on the enemy's hill. 
You can think if you want that you can be in the valley, but you can't be in the valley and you can't be halfway up. You're on one hill or the other. And isn't it interesting that Jesus said, you're like a city on a hill that is supposed to be light and is supposed to be giving uh, uh, light to people in and around us. Are you a Christian that can be seen and can be, in, you're on one hill or the other. Jesus said you can't serve both God and manna or God and money. You either love one and hate the other or you hate one and love the other. There's no valley, there's no gray area. You're all in or you're all out, as much as you and I might think that. Now the hill for some of us, maybe it's the hill of prosperity or the hill of self-promotion or pride or the hill of whatever is best for me. Can I ask you a question if you're a Christian today? When was the last battle that you fought for Jesus Christ? When is the last battle that you fought for Jesus Christ? And if your prayers aren't answered, is it possible? Maybe something else, but is it possible it's because you're on the wrong hill? And you're praying and possibly nothing being done. I understand that there's just, just a thought because of the context today. We're on one hill or the other. And today, every one of us here, we all choose where we live our life, who we live our life for, which side are we fighting for. There is a battle going on. Have we engaged? Number two, our enemy is strong. Our enemy is strong. And the reason I make this point is because sometimes as Christians, we think just because we're Christians and Jesus is on our side, the battle will be easy. And that is a huge mistake. Sometimes Christians get trampled on because of this. Uh, verse four, here's the enemy. His name is Goliath. The Bible says in verse four that he is a champion. Now let me read all of the, uh, uh, all of the uh, weapons that he had going for him, and then I'll translate them uh, into some uh, English uh, numbers and stuff. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing about 5,000 shekel. Verse 6, on his legs he wore bronze greaves, which is basically shin guards. And a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekel. His shield bearer went ahead of him. And Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And he wanted it to be one-on-one. -on -one. Can I just very quickly point out to you at least seven weapons that Goliath had. Number one, he was nine foot nine. Number two, bronze helmet. Three, a coat of scaled armor, 125 pounds. You get the scaled armor, right? The scaled armor that actually could bend, but nothing could penetrate. He had uh, leg shins. Uh, uh, he, he guarded his shins with greaves. Uh, he had a bronze javelin, a spear shaft with an iron point that weighed 15 pounds. He had a shield bearer. Now, I got to imagine his shield bearer was shorter than him. But I don't know, what's he walking around like his little, uh, you know, his little guy? Here I am, you know, I got, I got your stuff for you. He's carrying all the stuff. Now, here's what I say to you again. Don't take your enemy lightly. Don't just think because, oh, I'm a Christian, oh, everything. Don't take him lightly. And here's what I always try to remember myself. Don't let your enemy goad you in to fighting their battle their way. His battle, the way he fought, was one-on-one, hand-to-hand garbage. And I think to myself, who does he think he is that he gets to set the battlegrounds? You send one guy down with some shrimp carrying your, your shield or whatever, there's no Geneva Convention. I'm sending five, six, seven guys down to stab you from every side. We win. 
Don't let your enemy set the standard, set the rules of engagement. As Christians, we have to use our head. We have to be practical. We have to think through things. But the Bible continually tells us we don't fight that way. That's why so very often Jesus' approach to so many things in life is so different. And you scratch your head and you just think, we don't wrestle against just flesh and blood. There is a weapon and there is a war out there going on. You know, our enemy is strong. Remember that. I had a friend who uh, was really having a real struggle. He was standing up for a lot of things at work. And he was, some of the things that he was standing up for, he was taking a lot of grief on. And I had just finished reading Psalm 140. And if you get a chance, if you have an enemy, if you have somebody against you, if you have something, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a spiritual battle, a temptation, Psalm 140 is a great one. But so many of the, of the um, Psalms written by this guy David talk about what to do when you have an enemy. Psalms is a great a place to go to, you know. So do you have someone against you in your Christian faith? I, I think about the, the, uh, the fight for the Supreme Court to Kavanaugh. I think about what that was. You know, I, I prayed, and I hope you prayed, and I interceded, and I hope you interceded, because this was a battle for life. This was a battle for the life of unborn. This was a battle about sexuality. This was a battle about lust of the flesh. This was a battle about unlawfulness in our country. This is what the battle was. And I continue to pray that God would confound the enemy because I know that he can do that. I hope you were praying and interceding. It was good against evil. Don't take your enemy lightly just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you fought on your knees? Number three. The lessons of faith. You're on one hill or the other. Our enemy is strong. Don't, don't, don't take it lightly. Number three, there is a time of testing and trials. Verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his hand. And he continued to shout, you against me. That's, in, in 40 days, that's 80 times. 80 times. Either you get intimidated or, or you're getting weary or you're getting... But it was, I find it so interesting that he says, we're Philistines, aren't you, aren't you the army of Saul? Yikes. Instead of being the army of the Lord, which you'll see here in just a second. Uh, see, the number 40 found throughout the scriptures continues to try to teach us something. I'm not a numerologist, and every number it means that, but it can be literal or uh, uh, figurative. But the number 40 continues to show us in the scriptures that it, there's a time of judgment and a time of testing. Scholars say that it's, it literally points to a time of either probation or some type of a trial. God chose this number to emphasize trouble and harm. It's almost like as you read the Bible, he is shouting loud and clear, Christian, you follow me, your life is not a bowl full of cherries. I, somebody, some author said, yeah, and mine bowl is full of pits. You're going to have tests. I'm going to have tests. I'm going to have trials. You're going to have trials. Please understand, if you follow Jesus Christ, this to be accurate and true, it flooded for 40 days and 40 nights in Genesis 7. God was judging the earth after Moses killed the Egyptian. After he tried to take over the um, Egyptians his way, he spent 40 years in the desert leading him up to facing God in the burning bush. He then spent 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai uh, spending time with the Lord, uh, receiving the Ten Commandments. 
Jesus was tempted 40 days and 40 nights in Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 2. Your trial may be going on longer than 40 days. I hope it hasn't been 40 years. But what test or what trial are you in that God says, hey, it's found all throughout the scripture. Here's what we do as Christians. Three very, very important things. Stay close to God because many people wander when they get through a test. Stay in his word and let his word teach you what to pray. One of the songs we sang is, is your promises are faith. At Bible study, I ask people, do you have a promise from the Lord in the word of God? If not, the word of God might not be as alive to you as it should be. And the last thing I would say to you is stay around Christians. Stay around God's people. Because those things together help us get through the testings and trials. Anybody here that's been through it, you know how important each of those are. There's a time of testing and there's a time of trials. Will you come out victorious? And if you do come out victorious and God comes out victorious, which we know he can, it's very likely that he will probably do more in me and you than he does in the situation that I need a miracle for. Because it's always about me growing. It's always about God doing a work and having victory in my life, maybe not necessarily over the situation. Number four, I have the time of preparedness. The time of preparedness. What David had done and what David overheard, he comes up to the battle line. He, he's a shepherd. He's taking care of the sheep. He's got a staff and he's, he's got a sling. And you guys understand how this type of sling worked here versus that one. You know, you, he would have a sling and he'd have this right here. You put a stone in it, put the stone in it, turn it around. You let go of it with one finger. The other one holds on and it just flings the stone at 69 miles per hour. I'm sure he probably did 70, 72 miles an hour. But there's a time of preparedness. And in verse 32, David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David is there not even as a warrior. He's there to bring some food for his brothers. And he overhears what's going on. He's like, why isn't nobody standing up against this guy? And so he goes to the king, Saul. And, he, and Saul says to him when he says that in verse 33, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. You get ready to engage in a spiritual battle. There's somebody, and maybe they're high up. Maybe they're your boss. Maybe they're a king. Maybe they're your mom, your dad. I don't know who it is. And says, you, you can't go against this. And if he was going on his own, it would be one thing, but you and I can stand against anything. God in me is bigger than an army of, of 1,000 or 10,000, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came to carry off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it. And it's the same word that's used when the stone strikes, the word struck there when it uh, hits Goliath. He struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me and uh, seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he'll be like them because he has defied the armies of the living God. When we enter into a battle, it can be for something to order. But do we fight any kind of a battle? Because the world, or whatever situation, they're defying the God of the universe. Do you fight any battles as a Christian? 
because it's against the armies of the living God? Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. What was God doing with David as he was tending sheep? Day after day, probably year after year, he was preparing him. He was doing something. He was picking up his sling. Just Can you picture a young boy with a sling and a stone? You're going to have a lot of broken windows. They're going to be hitting everything. A sling and a stone, a very simple piece of equipment to make, and unlimited ammunition. Rocks all over the place. You pick one up, you're fooling around, you get bored, boom, you're thinking it, you know. Unlimited ammo all over the ground. He's breaking cans, he's breaking Coke bottles, and he's getting good. And he's prepared. And you'll see just a little bit later, this wasn't something brand new with him. This had been going on, I have a reference in, in the bottom of your notes, for a long time with warriors using a sling and a stone. You see, David, in all of that ability, and all of that practice, still did not trust his skill. Sometimes when we get good at something, sometimes when we do something as a Christian, when we use our gifts, whatever it is, you can get to the place where we can start to take credit for what it is that we can do how it is that we can do, our worship team, uh, preaching, teaching a class, being with kids, whatever it might be, whatever it is that God, God has been preparing you. There's something that he's put into your hands. There's something there for you. It's been a time of preparedness. The question now is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what you have in your hand? When was the last time you gave thanks to God when you were in a battle and made sure he got the glory for it? When was the last time maybe you were praying in a battle and maybe it was a battle for a job and the Lord gave you the job and you told everybody, I asked the Lord to help me with this. I give Jesus credit for this. Oh, we don't want to say some of those things. We probably say that and we're probably liable to get fired. This person is brand new and they're talking about Jesus. But can you tell me when the last time is among unbelievers? You made sure Jesus got the credit? Just a thought. What are you doing right now that God might be preparing you for a spiritual battle? Number five. What does everyone know when we win? What does everybody around us know when we win? And of course the context is, I'm on the right hill, I'm fighting a battle. What does everybody know in regards to what Jesus has done for me? Verse 40 in this passage Then he took a staff in his hand, right? So David's got his staff. He chooses five smooth stones from the stream. And you know why he got them out of the stream? Because the water tumbles them and they get smooth and they're much more accurate when they're smooth and more round. He put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And what's the Philistine doing? He's got his shield bearer out there and he's coming. And all of a sudden, he sees a boy coming out there. The passage scripture says, He's glowing with health and he's handsome. And he looks at David and he says, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David's gods. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Are we standing up against anybody that is defying biblical principles? 
Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistines, the Philistine army, to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. What do people know around us when we win in Jesus' name? What do people around us know? Look at verse 47. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. What do you know about what it means to be saved? So very often I thought the battle was mine, to be saved, to be a Christian, to get into heaven. I thought, you know, if I was a good enough guy, which I was pretty doggone good according to my standard. I could compare myself to, if you're good enough, your good works get you into heaven. And I read and people pointed out to me, uh (laughs) uh-oh, nobody gets into heaven by their good works. For all of your good works are filthy rags. Because the battle is the Lord's, and the battle is the Lord's when it comes to salvation. And that is why Jesus fought the battle. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. And that's why Jesus rose from the dead, because he won the battle. And if you want to be saved, the way to be saved is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ to get out of the valley or the other and to get on the hill with Jesus and say, I'm here. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. I need my sins forgiven. I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. He did it. The battle is the Lord's. Everybody here knows. You can't save yourself. You don't want to go into the next life with your sins on your heart. When the battle is bigger than us and we win, It is sometimes tempting to take the credit, but David, it just wasn't in his makeup. Make it a point to make sure that Jesus gets the credit. Have your spiritual victories pointed to Jesus Christ. Do others know that only through God has this happened? Number six, victory encourages others. David ran and stood over him. Look at verse um, Verse 49, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, and here's the word, struck the Philistine on the forehead. I love this part. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine sword. He took his own weapon. He drew it out, and he killed him, and he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And here it is, verse 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath. And their dead were strewn all along the road. When victory takes place through a battle that we've been fighting others are encouraged when we win and we give glory to God our Christian family is encouraged that's why prayer tonight at five o'clock will start with some of you we will open prayer with one or two or three or four people who say I prayed and God heard my prayer because we need to be encouraged that God hears and answers prayer because then that encourages us and that's why we will open with a couple people. I don't know who. I haven't chosen anybody. But maybe today God has chosen you. Is he saying something to you today? Will you just use what's in your hand, what you have experienced? Someday, Billy Graham said, you're going to read that I'm dead. And what did he say? He quoted Dwight L. Moody. Uh, Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed the dresses. 
I will have gone into the presence of God. And we draw strength when others have spiritual victory over their enemies. That's why we gather together even this evening. So in your notes, I have the phrase, it comes natural. You know, David had his sling and his stones, and, you know, he was just good at it. And I, I, I guarantee you this, there are people that could take that sling and stone and be a lousy aim, just lousy, because it was where he was at and what he was good at, and he honed it. And that's why our connection ministry, right, right? Our connection ministry is so important. Stand up, wave your hands. If you have not, if you have not taken the connection ministry here, this will help you find out what God has placed in your hands. This will help you find out. Get, talk to her afterwards. Get signed up for that. David had a piece of leather and as many rocks as he needed. And I, I think about so many people ask you, what is it that you have in your hand? What are you good at? I was talking to a, a husband and wife the other day, and the wife was saying, you know, she said, I seem to have not gotten a lot of the different gifts that other women I know have. And she was, you know, how you focus on what other people do rather than what you, and I looked, I said, are you kidding me? I said, I said, I said, you're famous. You're famous for hosting a Bible study along with a meal, a feast that she puts on, that people sign up because they want physical feast and physical food along with spiritual food. And their Bible study almost immediately, almost always gets filled up. I said, what do you got in your hand? What are you good at? Don't be looking at what everybody else has. I ask you that today as I think the Lord is asking us today. You know, what is it that we have in our hands? <laughs> I, wonder if, I wonder if David knew about the warriors. I have it in your notes in Judges 20, verse 16. They're getting ready for battle, and it says, among all other soldiers, among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, which helped you guard and protect the person to, uh, uh, on your right, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And that's not a hair on your head. That's a rabbit. The asterisk. What do you have in your hand? That's simply the question today. What is it that in your preparedness, maybe you never saw it that way, but God is preparing you. Maybe you already know what it is. Awesome. Maybe you need to be reminded, okay. But what do you have in your hand? Because no matter how insignificant your abilities may seem to you, if we'll place it in the Lord's hand, it can be used for his kingdom. We're getting ready to do the Lord's Supper in just a minute, Candy, if you want to come. And if you're here today and you want to take the Lord's Supper with us, you don't have to be a member of this church. The only thing that you need is you need to know that Jesus is your Lord. He is your Savior. You've asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And uh, for those of you here today, maybe, maybe you drifted away for a while, and today you want to come back. And today, in taking the Lord's Supper for you today, it will be that you are asking Jesus to be your Savior. You know the battle is with Jesus. And so when you come forward today, you're going to take the Lord's Supper and you're going to say, I am giving my life to Jesus Christ, not the person to the left or to the right, okay? If I could have the ushers come forward and all I'll ask you to do in just a minute is for everybody in this group over here to come to those middle aisle, come up here as quickly as possible, take the bread, take the juice, hold it in your hand and we'll take it together, same thing over here. And as they're getting ready, could I ask you a question? The United States hockey team in 1980, did they defeat the Soviet Union because they put no effort into it? 
If you know anything about what their coach put them through, it was tough. It was tough. It was a lot of hard work. They did not defeat the Soviet Union just by showing up. Here we are. But that's what the Soviet Union thought. And I say to you today, David didn't beat Goliath just by showing up. He was smart enough not to fight the enemy the way the enemy wanted to fight. This right here represents God's way of fighting. In 1 Corinthians, it says, the wisdom of God has made fools those who think that they are wise. He defeated sin by seemingly being defeated, but he won. And as you come forward, take the bread, holding it represents the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. As the Lord moves on your heart, why don't you get up? Father God, as we close our service today, we get our hearts and our minds in line with what it is that you have taught us. You have continued to give us spiritual lessons to teach us and show us you know, who it is that you are, what it is we fight, and how we fight. Thank you for the reminder. We don't struggle against just flesh and blood, but we, we struggle against spiritual principalities and, and evil darkness. We need your strength to bring the light. And so I ask in Jesus' name, you help us be faithful to do that in your name. Amen.